Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Jay was talking about how I've been a part, um, you know, just been available and things like that from the beginning. And honestly, it's been, it's been this like delight and joy for me to be available because since the beginning, I think I, think I might have even met Matt before maybe before services even started, or maybe they had just been starting. It was somewhere really, really early. And even at that point, I just sensed God is doing something with this group. He has a plan for this group, and he wants to see his glory and his message and the gospel go forward into the community of Jacksonville. Thank you for the lights. That's so nice. Um, um, He wants to see his glory um, and his kingdom move forward in this community through this group of people. Um, It is very rare, um, even today, to get this many different people in the same room together. And just by the nature of the fact that you guys are sitting here together is a huge, huge win. Um, But but the thing is, is we we can stay sort of just... Uh, functioning in the same space together, and we would call that like you're you're diverse, right? You're here and you're here together. But the thing that I kind of want to talk to you about today is how do you move? How do you move from being diverse to reconciled? How do you move from? And that's that's the issue that I think most multi-ethnic churches are dealing with today. That's not just this church. That's every single church. It is so so um, crucial to make that step, but it's it's tough. It's a it's a tough journey. And not that I have all the answers, and not that all those answers are going to be talked about in this next few minutes, but I wanted to at least start, and, and not that you, sorry, I shouldn't even say that, because it's not like you haven't started already, and you're not already in process, because you are, but I just feel like it's a hard thing. It's a messy process. It doesn't happen just by default. It doesn't happen naturally, and, um, but the really cool thing is that the Word has some really cool things to say about that can help us on the journey. So we're going to dive in, and we're going to... Um, the goal is for any diverse church to go from like, okay, we're all functioning in the same space. We say hey to each other as we walk past each other. We sort of know each other's names and faces, or we, we can kind of show up to the same things. But a lot of times, even in diverse churches, we may all show up to the same things. But when we, when we get there, we still kind of cluster together with the people who are most like us. We gravitate towards the people who are easiest to be with, which are, again, the people who are most like us, who we resonate with, man, whether it's like we all like to bike nine miles together, or we like to eat natural food together, or we like to um, listen to this kind of music together, whatever. I mean, it, it, it's, there's so many things, but we just have this gravitational pull to talk to people where it's like easy, and, um, and a lot of times the easiest people to talk to are the people who are like us, not people who are different from us. And so just by default or just by nature of that, we end up just hanging out with the people who are, who are most like us. And that keeps us then, obviously, from then connecting in deep relationships, reconciled relationships with people who are different, right? Logic. Um, and so 
in the midst of that, then, we're close enough to each other to sort of see, like, ah, there's some kind of differences. People do things a little different from each other. And we're close enough to be annoyed. We're close enough to be frustrated. We're close enough to be sort of judgmental. We're close enough to have a whole bunch of opinions about why she does what she does and he does what he does. But we don't actually know people well enough to actually really understand what's underneath it and why it's happening. And so then distrust starts to happen and criticism and conflict. And um, and that's, that's like not a new thing. That happens in any church anywhere, but the more that people are different from each other, the less people actually understand each other. So it just makes sense that it would happen more, right? Um, and so what I want to do is, as we kind of dive in, my challenge is it's always easy. Man, it's easy for me when I'm sitting next to my husband in church to be like, as, as the pastor's talking, like, did he hear that? I hope he heard that that really applied to him really, really well, right? Like, it is so easy for me to do that. And even after we're done and we're, like, talking about what we heard or whatever, I just want to be like, and he's like, well, you know, what did you hear today? And I just want to be like, well, I heard this, 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 and this, and this is how you should <laughs> apply it to your life, right? Um, but, but the reality is, is we're going to learn the most, we're going to grow the most, and the Holy Spirit will have the most opportunity if we ask him to speak to us about us, not about um, what someone else can be doing, right? So my challenge is um, to do that, and I'm going to pray and ask the, the Holy Spirit to do that, and then we're going to get started. Um, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I thank you. It, it just blows my mind that you are inside of each one of us who are yours, um, and that you are walking with us, that you are speaking to our conscience, that you, that you are there with the desire to transform us more and more into your image and to make us more and more uh, for your purposes. You want to, you, you, in your faithfulness, you want to convict us and help us to change and grow. You um, are there to give us the power to do that. And Lord, I just pray that over the next... Um, the next few minutes, Lord, that I pray that I pray that you would be, I would, I would sense you strongly in my life as I speak and just share the things that are important to your heart. Um, and I pray that uh, others here would hear you and and then turn to you to see you be the power that helps them to to live into the things that you're showing or challenging them on. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your truth um, that you simultaneously pour out on us. I pray that we would be able to accept the truth because we know that you are pouring your grace out on us and love us even in the places where we need to grow, even in the places where we get it wrong. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I want to start... Uh, if you want to take out your Bibles or your phones, wherever you like to read the Bible, your, your smart device or um, on the screen behind me, when it, um, and I would like you to turn to John. John, if you're not familiar, it's sort of like maybe two-thirds-ish of the way through the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, and we're going to turn to John chapter 17. So John 17 is Jesus is praying near and he's, well, he's, yes, he's praying before he is about to meet his crucifixion. And 
in John chapter 17, we're going to find verses 20 through 23. I'm going to read it in the ESV. Uh, so if you want to switch to that version on your phone, you can to make it easier. But if it's easier to read in a different version, feel free to do that. So John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23 says, I do not ask for these only, which were the people who were with him right then, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So this is going to be our kind of foundational passage that we're going to talk about today. And really want to emphasize the reality of, okay, so Jesus says, he's prayed, and in that prayer several times he says, I'm praying that they may be one. But one what? A lot of times when we think like, oh, we're going to be one or we're going to be uni unified, the thought that we have, whether intentionally or not, is, is that we're all going to be like me. And we don't really actually think we're all going to be like me, but we think we are sort of the standard of right, and we um, look at the Bible and the world in the right way. And so, so a lot of times in churches and in our own lives, the way that we think about that we may be one is like, oh, let's just be in happy harmony, but under it is this idea that everybody's going to be like whoever I am. And the reality is, is, when Jesus is praying that they would be one, we're going to actually flip over to Ephesians really quick if you want. Otherwise, it will be on the screen, and you can write it down if you are a note taker. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 kind of enlightens us into one what, right? So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 say, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. So, and, and both as in, at that time, that was the Jews and the Gentiles, two very different ethnic groups. And so Jesus has made them both one. Um, sorry, let me get back to my spot. But well, let's see, where am I? 1720. Sorry, I totally got out of where I am. <laughs> okay, yes. So, and he came. Man, I am so off. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's why, because I was looking at the wrong thing. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, just to remind you. So, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might be reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We could spend, I mean, we could spend an hour just talking about that passage, but what I really want to get from that passage right now is that through the cross, through the gospel, Jesus is doing this re like restorative reconciling work to make us one, and he's specifically talking about different ethnicities in this particular chapter um, and passage, but it's to make us into one body. 
What's a body, right? We're, we're one body, we're one man. A body, an organism, is a thing that's made up of diverse organs and parts that functions together as a whole to main life and activity. So we're gonna just kind of explore that metaphor for a second. Um, if we are a body here in this church, then that means that it's really, really, really good that there's a lot of different people here because nobody's body is made up of all eyes or hands or hearts or livers or brains. We're, our bodies are made up in this like complex, amazing um, group of different, different, different organs, different vessels, muscles, bones, all of these things that come together to give us the body that we have. It's a really, really good thing. And in the body of Christ, a lot of times we can even, we'll like take these verses about being in one body and, and even for good reason, because it will like talk about like some have administrative gifts and some are preachers and some are teachers and some are prophets, but some are task oriented. Some are um, relationship oriented. Some are present. They're like so focused on just really investing and being present in the present, and some are really, really future-focused oriented. Some are super academic, and they just love to live inside of their head, and they, they just totally just are jazzed by, if I were to give you a bunch of Greek words this morning, you would be like, oh, that was the best. And other people are like, well, just tell me how this is supposed to be lived out in my life. Um, some people love to run like through life really fast, and other people are like, let's just take our time. Let's just enjoy enjoy where we're at. This feels too overwhelming. This is too much. Um, some people love change. Some people are oriented towards stability. Some people, I don't know, you could just go on and on and on, loud, quiet, um, whatever. And the reality is, is a lot of times um, we, get, we get critical of the way that those things work out in a negative way. But but in a body, we don't, we don't criticize our hand because it doesn't pump blood to our bodies, do we? We're like, oh, I'm glad I have my hand to pick things up. We don't criticize our brain because it isn't the thing that digests our food. We are thankful that our brain sends out all these messages to our body, right? But the, the reality is, as a lot of times in a body like this, it's so easy to say, man, we'll, we'll look at someone and say, man, they're just like, they're just like lazy. They don't really like to do anything. And so I had a roommate like that where I'm like, how can you just sit for all day long and not do anything? It was, it was, it was like baffling to me. And what, but the funny thing was, is she is always the life of the party. She is the most fun person that you will ever, ever hang out with and I am not fun at all, but I sure can get things done. Like, I can, I can make things happen. And the thing is, is I can be like, man, Rebecca is so lazy. Like, what's her problem? Why doesn't she get more done? Or I can be like, man, I love what Re Rebecca brings to my life because she makes every place I am fun and, and a joy to be. And so a lot of times when we look at different, every, everything that sort of can be annoying or a weakness, often on the other side, there's actually a strength to it in the, uh, in the way that a person is. And so my encouragement is, is to look to the strength. What's the strength on the other side of the weakness? It could be like, man, that person is so kind of anal in particular about the way they want stuff. But the reality is, is they're going to produce an amazingly excellent product when they're done. So can I just let that person be particular 
and produce an amazing product rather than be frustrated because it takes them a little longer to get it done. Um, so so um, it's super, super important when we're functioning together as difference, it, when we see things that are like hard, is to look what, what might be the positive side, thing on the other side of that personality. Now, that's one thing. The next thing about a body is that um, we need to fill our function. So live into who God has created you to be. Um, don't criticize someone else because they're not. You're there to be that. So don't be mad because someone else isn't because that's why God put you here. He put you here to do that. And so live into that yourself and don't expect other people to fill the function that God actually wants you to fill. On the other side, it's really important too not to sort of feel a sense of like inferiority of wanting to be what someone else is. Man, I wish I could sing. I wish I could be a worship leader. I like would love, love, love to do that. But God didn't make me that way. And I can be all kind of insecure about the fact that I can't sing and I can't hold a note to any at all. Or I can just praise God and love God with the voice that he's given me and be okay with the fact that someone else is really good at that and I can follow their lead. And a lot of times we can get competitive of like wanting to be like, well, I want to do that because that's sort of the important thing or that's the cool thing or that's the cool way to be. And, and so there's these like two sides of pride where we can either be like, well, why aren't you more like me? Or man, I wish I was more like them. And the reality is, is God made you you. He made you you to contribute in a special way. So be you and love and embrace the way that God made someone else to be them. Another thing that, that about a body is that it's organically connected. A lot of times in the body of Christ, I think we walk around almost like we're this body made up of a bunch of prosthetic limbs that are all sort of awkwardly connected to each other, but not organically, interdependently connected to each other. But the, the goal is, is God, he like grafted them together. I had this friend, this is kind of a crazy story, but I have this friend who several years ago, he got shot in the wrist at close range. And it made a, it was like kind of messy and really bad. And to the point where like they could have actually cut off his, his hand and given him a prosthetic hand. Um, but instead of doing that, because it was like this really big spot, what they did, it was the most fascinating thing ever, is they, um, they sewed his hand to his leg. And they let the skin cells from his leg rejuvenate and, and rebirth the, the huge piece of skin and the things that were missing on his arm. And it was this amazing thought of like how, how that grafting process happens of, of a body, body like growing itself into and rejuvenating itself. But I think that like that idea or the idea of a plant of, of two coming together as one organically. And if we're one organic being of different parts, then we don't easily, we can't like, if it was just a, like I had a prosthetic leg, and you know, I could just like, take it off and put it to the side. I could get a new one. I could easily let go of it and um, change it out. Um, I, I use my prosthetic leg, but I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily connected to it. And I think a lot of times in churches, we can, we can just feel like, well, you know, we don't necessarily easily fight for the people who are different from us. 
because it's like, ah, if they go, it's not going to really affect my life. I can get a new one, right? And, um, and so the important thing is, is when we're organically connected, if this person gets severed from my life or if this group of people gets severed from my life, I feel it. And I feel the ache of them missing. Um, the other thing is, is if we are organically connected, if I'm walking and I have a prosthetic leg and I bump into a table and I get this big gaping wound, which probably wouldn't happen if I bumped into a table, but if I did something and I got a, I wouldn't get a big gaping wound on my prosthetic leg, but if it's my organically connected leg, and I, I would get a gaping wound. And not only would I get a gaping wound, I would feel it. My whole body would feel the result of my woundedness and it would redirect its re the resources and energy to help heal that wounding. So let's talk about that for a second because in the church, there is a lot of woundedness. There's a lot of woundedness and, and I'm just gonna be straight here for a second. In a multi-ethnic church, in a multicultural church, it cannot exist without people in the body here having serious wounds. And we could talk for a whole couple hours about that and I could help you like see that, but what I need, to, what I need us to know is that there are serious, serious wounds. And those wounds, many of them have never been healed. And so when, and, and there are things that keep re-wounding and keep re-wounding, whether that is, um, wounds that come from having to validate my existence. I, I was at this workshop one time and this gentleman said, can you imagine the shame that I feel when I constantly have to prove to people that I am worth living and that I am valuable as a person? When I have to continue to justify my existence and my value to every person around me, can you imagine the shame that I feel? That's like a huge wound, right? When a, person, when a person feels wounded because they see someone who looks like them being killed, and let's, so, so in the media today, we're seeing it over and over again, and it's going both ways. It's, it's um, a lot of African-American men who are being killed by police. It's also police officers who are being killed by not only African-American men, all kinds of people. If, if we have people in our body who are police officers and or African-Americans, there is going to be a woundedness and a, a, a feeling of pain that is associated with that. So when we wanna just turn that into some philosophical idea of, well, so-and-so should have this and so-and-so should have done that, that's just trying to pretend that the wound doesn't exist. We need to acknowledge and feel the wounds. And if someone is expressing to you, and sometimes that expression may come out in sadness, sometimes that expression might come out in anger or frustration or rage, but we need to step back and to say, because sometimes if I have a gaping wound, I don't just feel sad, it hurts so so bad that I want to howl, right? Like, I had to get your howl in there. <laughs> no, but it hurts so bad that it's just like throbbing and painful. And I don't have the, the, the time to say, oh, this really hurts. It's just like, ah, right? And it comes out that way. So what, 
it is so important is that as a body, if you guys could get this and even nothing else, is to realize that when someone here feels wounded or hurt about something, it is so important for you to not try to disregard it, not try to pretend it doesn't exist. You have, please, please enter into it. That is gonna be one of the first things that, that, like one of the most important things that will help to connect and unite you as a body over almost anything else. Feel and enter into the woundness, woundedness and then direct your energy and your resources to helping to heal it. That's what a body does. If I go into shock, my skin gets cold because my blood comes away from my skin to go to the vital organs it needs to go to in order to sustain life. That's what our body does. That is the like, unique, beautiful thing you can do for each other that will help to unite you as a body. Okay, but this is the thing. Is it is awkward. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. And we could talk about that forever. We, the reality is, is for some of you, your parents or your friends are like, why in the world are you even going to that church with all those white people or with all those black people or with all those rich people or with all those poor people or whatever people want to like say is different and bad and wrong. You, you might be dealing with that. You're dealing with the reality trying to trying to be a part of this and it feels awkward and you feel offended and you don't always feel validated. And in fact, sometimes you're like, man, I didn't know I was such a piece of crap. Why are you like, you know, you're like dealing with all these like issues of like, man, I don't feel really good about myself right now. And that comes with, I mean, if you're grafting skin together or you're grafting something together, when he had his arm grafted to his leg, it was like, messy and oozy with pus and like they had to clean it and they, it was painful. It did not just like, oh, okay, we're done, we're healed. It, it, it was a process that took a lot of time. But, but the, and he could have been like, oh, I'm done with this, cut this off, whatever. But he stuck with it. He stayed in the process and as he stayed in the process, eventually the skin grew and it healed and, and then he, he had his... He had his arm and he had his use of his hand. And so I want to tell you how worth it it is. So that's what we're going to talk about. And, and if we go back to John, um, and if it's easy to throw that slide of John back up, that would be awesome. But so um, in John um, 17, um, we're just, let's just look at like 21 and 22. So Jesus says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's, there's, there's something about this body that, that is like tremendous, and it's so that the world may know that you have sent me. If you want to grow as as disciples, if you want to grow, I love that song, I want to know your heart. If you want to grow to know God's heart better, if you want to reach the community around you, you want to make disciples, you want to plant churches, you want to expand the kingdom of God, doing it together with people who are different from you is the most effective way to do it. It is slower, it's more messy, but it is the most effective way to do it. And what's so interesting is, is the world has actually gotten this much faster than the church. Most corporations are like putting together whole diversity task force be, forces because they know that the more diverse voices that they have around a table, the more 
um, the, the better, more likely they are to have succeed and make a greater impact. Um, it's interesting, there was this like huge study done, and I, I heard it on NPR one day, but essentially the, the research from this study showed that a group, this is the interesting thing, a group of sort of mediocre people on a team are more effective, who are different from each other, I gotta get that part in there, a group of mediocre people on a team who are different from each other are much more effective in their outcomes and their output than a group who are very similar to each other and who are at the like top of their class or, or at the top of their game. Because the group who are different from you, they think about, they think about problems and solutions and um, they bring different skills in a, in a different way from each other. When you're all sort of the same, you see things very similar, you see the problems in the same way, you say, see the solutions in the same way, and so you get stuck. But the more difference there is, the more you have the opportunity to, to come up with a better, more full solution. And so, so businesses all over are doing that um, in order to get people to solve problems and dream and create and create better products. And so this is the cool thing. If you feel like, hey, I'm mediocre, I feel that, like that a lot. I'm like, but that's okay, I can be mediocre because if I'm around a lot of other people, then we can still like do something really great for the Lord. And so, so knowing it is worth it because you're gonna get a better output, but also it's worth it because it's going to allow you to grow as disciples. It's gonna allow you to know God better and to grow in your sanctification. Um, so in... In the, in the history, in the Christian History magazine, they had recorded this, this article um, from years before. And the article was entitled, Why Christians Should Support Slavery. And in that article, there were numerous biblical reasons, charitable and evangelistic reasons, social reasons and political reasons why the people of the day should support slavery. There was biblical justification for that. And it's easy to be like, well, those probably weren't really Christians. But for anybody who knows who Jonathan, um, Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield were, two major people that we as evangelicals look to as heroes of our faith, they both owned slaves. They were Christians who owned slaves. Because the reality is, is they were in a cultural context that created blind spots. And we're gonna come back to that for in just a second. But I just saw, so, so that article was entitled, Why Christians Should Support Slavery. I came across an article the other day by Wayne Grudem, who is someone who's a very respected theologian and ethicist in evangelical circles. If you haven't heard of him, there's probably a systematic theology book sitting on a shelf somewhere with his name on it. And, and this, is the, this is the reality. I'm not trying to discount him at all. He has contributed massive amounts to Christianity in our day. He recently wrote an article, Why Voting for Donald Trump is the Morally Good Choice. And he gave moral and biblical and social and political and economic reasons why voting for Donald Trump is the morally right choice, the morally good choice. I don't, I'm not like trying to have a political discussion. I don't care if you vote for Donald Trump or Hillary or some other party. I don't care if you don't vote. The point is, is, is Wayne Grudem took, 
his wrestling or his trying to work this out and walk by the Spirit and figure this out, and he created a moral and biblical justification for why it would be good to vote for Donald Trump. And the reality is, is that he did that because he exists in a cultural context. And that cultural, and just as every single one of us in this room does, it's like the air we breathe, and we cannot even, we don't, we don't taste the, the toxins and the pollution in the air we breathe, but it is there, and we breathe it in, and we breathe it in, and if we go to a different part of the country or someone from a different country comes here, they probably can tell a little bit because it's different than the air they breathe. But, the, but, the, but we breathe it every day, and we don't recognize it. And we all, as Christians, are in this cultural context that makes, it forms this lens of things that we think are biblical and right and moral and ethical. And, but the problem is, is that we have blind spots, and we create these judgments and criticisms about each other based on our cultural context that we're in. But the problem is, is we don't just base it, we don't come up with these criticisms based on the cultural context we're in. We make them biblical and moral, and then we feel this really good justification to be able to judge and criticize others because they're not doing it the way that we do it. They aren't um, academic enough, they don't, they don't, they're not quiet enough and solemn enough in their worship, or they're not loud enough and excited enough in their worship, or they're not, um, they don't use enough Greek words, or they have a female on the podium right now, or like, there's like tons of things that you could just, you can go and you're like, that's so wrong. And we don't even realize that so much of what we determine is so wrong about everybody else that's sitting around us. Man, they're late. Did you, can you believe that they were there five minutes after they were supposed to? That's so rude. They're stealing my time. They're a thief. I mean, we go there. I mean, actually, a pastor, when I remember, the reason I say that is, I was like 12 years old, and I distinctly remember this message being preached by my pastor. And it informed me, and I was like, I don't want to steal people's time. I got to be on time. I got to be on time. And then everybody after that who was late, I was like, they're stealing our time, right? Like, and it's just like crazy how we do that, but it's so wrong. It's so wrong. And so I need to get, I, I, I'm sorry, I've just been like, I need to go to the next thing. But the, the reality is, is when we're around people who are different from us, they can see that it's wrong, right? They don't have the same blind spots. They have their own blind spots, but they also manifest the image of God in cool ways that we don't. People from my, the, the poor black community I lived in, have show more generosity, God's characteristic of generosity, forgiveness, and love and honor for family than any white Christian middle class person I know. Even non-Christian black poor people in my neighborhood show more generosity than most middle class white Christians I know because they're displaying a part of the image of God that's so beautiful and I can learn from that and I can grow from that and I can be a better, more sanctified person who hears God's heart better and I get to know his heart better because I'm around and I respect this person and I don't see them as a project that I need to fix or I'm not there just to make their life better. I'm there with them, learning from them, loving from them, walking in mutual humility and submission mission to each other. And that sounds great, but it is so, so hard. It's so hard to do. And so whether that's fear and anxiety and distrust and discomfort, but this is the cool thing, and we're not going to spend a long time here, but I just have to show you this. This is so cool. In Colossians, Paul deals with this in such a, such a cool way. 
Where is Colossians? Oh yeah, so that's like after Corinthians, General Electric Power Company. Colossians chapter three, verses nine through 15. And it's gonna be on this screen um, and you can just read along. Uh, we won't turn there. Um, so it says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So I'm gonna stop for a second. I used to just read over all those words and be like, okay, let's get to the next thing. Those words are super, super important. There is no longer this ethnicity or that ethnicity, this class or that class, this um, like social strata or that class. And it's not saying that the, the differences haven't gone away, but the divisions have gone away. So they're still different from each other, but they don't need to be divided from each other. But then look at the next verses. Therefore, put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you also must forgive, and above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then it keeps going and going and going. This is the reality. Trying to live this thing as one body is hard, it's messy, our pride, our shame, our fear, all those things get in the way. But this is the reality, is this Jesus is saying, put on the new self, put away the old self, live into who you are, which is a person with compassion. A person, and I'm just gonna like run through a few of these definitions. I'm not gonna say the Greek words, even though these are the definitions that kind of come out of the Greek. The compassion, a sympathetic understanding of human weakness. Do you have sympathetic understanding when people's weaknesses rub off on you? Um, kindness. That would be a com compassion or a sympathetic understanding of human weakness married together with a tender feeling of affection. So not just like, oh, I can put up with you, but like, oh, I understand and I like feel really fondly. I like have this affection for you. I love you with affection. Um, and then the, um, let's see, humility is a sober assessment of my own human weakness. I can be a lot more graceful and sympathetic and understanding to your weakness when I realize that I have weaknesses too. When I realize I'm not perfect, I don't have all the answers. I have blind spots. It, um, let's see. Um, when, it, it, when I ha am living in humility, it tempers my theological superiority complex. Did you hear that? Because in the church, that's like one of our biggest problems. We, we want to know what's true and right, but then we get this superiority complex as though we know what is true and right. And then we, we in our pride, shut down and, and stop listening to other people as though we couldn't have errors in our thinking. It allows you to realize that you might be wrong, and if someone calls you out on something or says, man, what you did just really hurt me or offended me, it says, oh, I might have. I could have done that because I am weak and I am limited and I don't see or know everything. 
So our new self allows us to walk in a spirit of humility and meekness, which is a calm and not easily provoked. And then I love this patience and bearing with each other. It's forbearance under suffering caused by other people. How many people in this room have felt some level of like suffering, pain, slight annoyance, hurt by someone else in this room? Probably most of you in some way, shape, or form. But the reality is, is that the forbearance allows us to continue to walk in compassion, kindness, and humility, and meekness with each other when their weaknesses and their blind spots hurt me and offend me over and over and over again. And the way that I deal with that is by forgiving them just the, way, the same way that Jesus forgave me and seeking to walk in a spirit of love. Again, that sounds sort of simplistic, but the reality is, is, that, is that we are not just one body living out for the world to believe, but we're in Christ. Christ is in us, and he is living through us. His spirit is empowering us, and if we live into him and seek to walk with each other in these interdependent relationships, we're going to move to this powerful, strong body that can affect this community in amazing and incredible ways for the Lord. It's worth it. Stick with it. It feels uncomfortable. It feels disorienting sometimes. It feels really difficult. But, but the amazing results of your, your relationship with God and your powerful effectiveness in the world is possible and it is it's amazing beyond belief. And it's hard to even know what it could look like because very few of us do it. But it's possible because Jesus said it is in his word. And so I just encourage you, stick with it. Stay in it, even when it's uncomfortable. The discomfort will start to turn into comfort as you, as you sit in it long enough. And then you're gonna see yourselves and your body accomplish incredible things for the Lord. Thanks.